There's a pretty nice view from Mountain Bill. I said Kathleen MacArthur to her friend Judith Wright on a bright summer's day. And I don't know about you, but my greatest fears are that someone will take all this beauty away. So let's fight, oh let's fight for it. I say. Bread and Dripping Days, Part One, a lunch hour theatre script by Kathleen MacArthur. Kathleen MacArthur was Daniel and Catherine Evans, Nee Durack's third daughter, the middle child of their five children. The family owned homes in Cooparoo, Brisbane, and Caloundra on the Sunshine Coast. Kathleen wrote Bread and Dripping Days based on memories from her childhood in the 1920s. It was published in 1977. I remember how it was when I was young, how we used to live before the war, when the air was clean, sex was dirty, and the rain rained hard. Our house, like many on our street, was made of wood and had an iron roof. Rain on a hot tin roof is a sound once heard, never forgot, so loud it stops all conversation. We had a chook run in the backyard, into which we threw the kitchen scraps, and... Oh, for the shame, a dunny outside. Oh, that can't be true. Oh, yes, it is. Ew, yuck. And if the hens stopped laying, they'd find themselves in the Sunday roast. Just thinking about roast dinners can make one hungry. I do remember the vegetable garden. One remembers always being sent to get a few sprigs of marjoram for seasoning the stuffing. If it wasn't an unfortunate chicken... The Sunday roast might be a succulent roll of beef or a leg of mutton or the crackling topped joint of pork. But always with the roast potatoes and onions and pumpkin and maybe a few sweet bucks as well, topped off with a boat of gravy to pour all over it. But that wasn't the end of the meal, of course. If the weather was cool, it would be followed by steamed golden syrup pudding with rich egg custard. All this nostalgia about the Sunday roast means we can't forget the bread and dripping. Whatever happened to bread and dripping? When butter was sixpence a pound, children have dry bread or bread and dripping. After the long walk home from school, there was always bread and dripping for afternoon tea, liberally sprinkled with pepper and salt. So what is dripping? Well, in sheep districts, it was mutton dripping, and those children swore it was the best. But the cattle families plumbed for beef dripping as the tastiest. Nothing was ever heard of pork dripping, probably because pig breeders grew so fond of their charges they couldn't bear to kill their little darlings. It would be like eating one's own friends. Straight-out cannibalism. While you may slaughter a bullock, kill a sheep, this little pig goes to market. This little piggy went to the market. This little piggy stayed home. This little piggy had roast beef and this little piggy had none. This little piggy went wee 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 all the way home. Yeah, but what is dripping? Dripping is the fat left in the pan from the Sunday roast. This precious liquid was kept in a jar 
after the juices from the meat had been tipped out, leaving a rich, delicious fat that would set in the fridge and be used for snacking all week long. Nothing was ever wasted from the Sunday roast. On Monday, any meat left over became shepherd's pie. To make this family favourite required the cook to assemble the mincer, a trusty black cast-iron contraption that nowadays would most likely only be found in a folk museum. It would be screwed onto the end of the scrubbed kitchen table and rested on a pad of folded newspaper just beneath the grabs so not to leave unsightly impressions in the furniture. Then into the mouth of the mincer would go the chunks of meat along with onions, carrots and herbs from the garden, handfuls of sage and marjoram, always fresh of course, but definitely no garlic, for those were pre-garlic days, at least for respectable families. A bread crust or two might stretch out the volume if needed, but that would go in last to soak up whatever juices might be left in the bowl. A dash of Worcestershire sauce and a glug of tomato sauce was mixed in as well. And of course, if any gravy left over from yesterday's dinner, it was thrown in on top. Finally, the entire meaty mix was placed in an enamel baking dish, topped off with a thick crust of mashed potato, which was decoratively patterned by the cook using a fork. And an hour or so later, the most remarkable pie would be retrieved from the oven as a beautifully tinted gold and brown masterpiece. It was an absolute work of art. Real folk art. Mother would often say... Shepherd's pie for dinner? Captain Johnson must be in port. Captain Johnson was the master of a Howard Smith coastal tramp steamer. He was always popular with the children and mercilessly teased by Dad. Harry knows every sandbank on the Australian coast. He's been on them all. In those days, children were not permitted to be fussy about food. Every child has to eat food that is good for them, if they know what is good for them. Including parsnips, sweet and turnips. Oh, is your father like them? When I grow up, I'm never going to eat cabbage. I said the very same thing when I was your age. And it is a funny thing. When I grew up, I found I did like cabbage. She might have been right about cabbage, but not about parsnips and swedes. You want to make me grow? Boiled beef and carrots. Boiled beef and carrots. That's the stuff for your Dolby shell. Makes you fat and it keeps you well. Don't live like vegetarians. On food they give the parrots. Blow out your kite from morning night on boiled beef and carrots. To think of the family in the 20s is to see all at the dining table in the social hour of the day. The table is covered with starched white cloths with starched serviettes in one's own serviette ring, which was usually a christening present from a godparent and engraved with the child's name and date of birth. Father sits at the head in a stately chair with the armrests, mother to his right and the eldest on his left. Present children descending by age down the sides, so the youngest was forever asked for something to be passed. Dad did the carving, first having sharpened the knife with the steel, which he did with a theatrical flourish. 
mother served the vegetables and later the puddings, and no one commenced eating until all were served. That is good manners. But really it was simply plain common sense, for otherwise the first served would be back for seconds before the last served had a chance to begin. The most absurd rule of all was eating peas from the back of the fork. Of course they went rolling down the slope, scattering over the spotless tablecloth. I eat my peas with honey. I've done it all my life. It may seem rather funny, but it keeps them on the knife. At the end of every meal, there was always a pile of dishes, pots and pans to wash up. Whenever it was my sister's turn to wash up, she did it with such bad grace. She didn't like getting her hands dirty, so she was too slow for her drier uppers, who, inspired by some red in the tea towels, begin a bullfight. Torriador, don't spit on the floor. Use the cuspidor, that's what it's for. At which stage that same sister with both hands pressed to her stomach would rush off to the lavatory. Ask anyone with siblings, antics like this quickly set off a counter-reaction. She needs to go to the lavatory, she needs to go to the lavatory, she needs to go to the lavatory. And so say all of us. She doesn't like washing the pots and pans, she doesn't like washing the pots and pans, she doesn't like washing the pots and pans, and neither do the rest of us. Just as class was indicated by good and proper manners, it seemed respectability was rated by cleanliness. One standing in the community seemed to depend on the weekly soap order from the grocer. And this cleanliness was taken to the extreme. When verandas were to be scrubbed, Queensland houses of the day mostly had white beach veranda floorboards, which could be kept sparkling white by vigorous scrubbing. What was fun for us as children, much more fun than the scrubbing, was the hosing down. We held the hose while an adult swished the water around with a millet broom. Boys were excluded from this task because it had been proven on countless occasions that they simply could not be trusted to do so without hosing everyone along with the floorboards. podcast series was produced by the Sunshine Coast Council Heritage Library with the support of a strategic priority grant from the State Library of Queensland. This series was produced in 2022 and may not be reproduced for any commercial or non-commercial interest.